Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Millions of people suffer from learning disabilities, dyslexia, ADD, anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and autism. While we label these conditions as disabilities, many individuals with deficits in certain areas of the brain possess great talent. In fact, the very conditions that cause people to experience difficulty at school, in social situations, at home, or at work are also linked to creative, artistic, and advanced cognitive abilities. Joining us today is Dr. Gail Saltz, author of The Power of Different. She will share an inspiring connection on how the source of our struggles can be the origin of our greatest strengths. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a renowned psychiatrist, columnist, and best-selling author. She's a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at New York Presbyterian Hospital, while Cornell School of Medicine. She's been featured in print and on television on The Oprah Winfrey Show, Dateline, Fox News, Anderson Cooper, Today Show, Good Morning America, Red Book, Woman's Day, and The New York Times, and that's just naming a few. She's also the host of The Power of Different podcast. Welcome to the show, author of the best-selling book, The Power of Different, the link between disorder and genius, Dr. Gail Saltz. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to be here. Share with us first how you ended up writing a book on the power of being different. It's very unique. Well, um, I've been a practicing psychiatrist for many, many years. I have a fairly high-functioning practice because, probably because I'm here in Manhattan. Um, and so, you know, a lot of High-powered, very successful people do come in. Obviously, they come in because they're struggling with a mental health issue. Right. And I found um, over the years that it was really surprising to me how particularly able or gifted even they were in some very particular area and how that often seemed to correlate with whatever the issue was that they were struggling um, in addition to that, I, I started doing a series actually here in New York at the 92nd Street Y, which is a cultural center, right. uh, called Psychobiography, where I spoke with historians about iconic, genius individuals in, in history, uh, you know, the Einsteins, the Darwin, the, the uh, artists like Van Gogh and, and writers like Hemingway, and what made them tick? And I found that it was difficult to find a subject, really, who didn't turn out to have a mental health issue or a learning disability. And um, and so those two things really sort of set me on this path of trying to look at the neuroscience and the research um, that might support that correlation. And I wow. found an ample, ample amount. Um, and, and lastly, actually, I have always been fascinated with this topic of genius and high creativity and talent, um, probably somewhat related to the fact that my youngest brother is um, an astrophysicist. He is a Nobel Prize winner for his discovery of the accelerating universe. And, you know, growing up with um, a younger brother and watching his curiosity and intensity and, and frankly, genius, it has always left me fascinated as to, you know, what about our minds make that possible? 
Yeah, interesting. You bring up your young brother. I have a brother that suffered so badly from a severe case of dyslexia in high school. He was told he would never make it through college and should look at a manual labor job. And not only did he become a college graduate, but he excelled in mathematics and became the head of an accounting department for a big ski resort. So, you know, I saw too as well that, you know, somehow the brain can rewire, right, to overcompensate for areas of weakness. How does that happen? Well, that certainly is true that what the brain, because it is frankly our most plastic or organ, um, right. essentially, you know, other organs have some plasticity potentially in them, but the brain is the, is the one that uh, keeps generating and regenerating over the entire lifespan, less so obviously as we're older in age, but still it can, um, and, and much more so when we're young. And so it is sometimes true that areas that uh, lack connectivity, you know, connection of one neuron to another, um, that make us potentially have a deficit or some area that we struggle with may prompt another area to recruit neurons and to grow neurons to create connections to, in a way, make up for that area. But what really is more astonishing, I think, in a way, is the body of research that supports that you know, many of these mental illnesses and learning disabilities, frankly, are, you know, biologically driven. They are um, genetically um, made more likely in terms of being passed down from family member to family mm -hmm. member. And along with that, the conferring of this, let's say, brain difference that causes potentially suffering or, in the case of your brother, difficulty with reading, um, Along with that seem to be conferred a set of brain differences, and in there is often an area of high connection, high ability, um, and therefore high potential for a, a particular talent or, um, or strength if it is tapped into and utilized and practiced. Right. I know there's so many famous people that have overcome their learning disabilities and, ro you know, they, they rose to greatness. One you mentioned was a shocker, Einstein. But we have some modern day folks like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates and Steven Spielberg. Some of these geniuses were called stupid when they were younger. Is there a common Absolutely. link? Is there a common link to these folks that they share to enable them to ignore being called a failure and, and rise to the top in, in, in spite of that? Um, I would say yes, um, uh, to some degree. The, the common link is, well, first of all, not all the st same strengths exist. It depends on what your area of weakness is. But, for example, um, you brought up being, being called stupid as a student. Um, I think everybody would assume that Einstein was revered as a student, and he was incredibly strong student in the math and physics areas. But in areas that didn't interest him, uh, like Greek and English, um, actually he did have a student, a Greek, um, he did have a professor, a Greek professor who told him he would never amount to anything. Um, because he presented with a lot of symptoms that we might today think had to do with attention deficit disorder or difficulty attending to something that was not of interest to him. We think of ADD as being, I, I simply can't pay attention, period. But really, ADD has to do with a faulty switch in an area of the brain called the default network, which decides 
consciously when you want to pay attention and when you don't. So even though, for example, you might not be very interested in Greek, as Einstein was, if you don't have ADD, you can decide to attend anyway. It might be more of a struggle, but you can do it. If you have ADD, then you really need something to capture your attention and be fascinating to you, in his case, obviously, the world of physics and math. And and then not only can you attend, but you can what's called hyperfocus or, you know, attend beyond what somebody who doesn't right. have ADD can do. Um, so what all these people may have had somewhat in common was the ability to really focus in, hyper-focus on things that particularly interested them. They may have, may have also been fortunate enough to have stumbled upon areas of potential strength early on in their lives. And they may have had the freedom to or the intensity to, the drive to pursue those things and not be dragged down as many people unfortunately are who lose self-esteem because they are struggling with a mental health issue and and society tells them like your brother, you're never going to amount to anything or you should, you know, not aspire to anything or you don't have any of these abilities. Many people really, their suffering bleeds into the area of their self-esteem and they feel like, what's the point? And they don't have the confidence to pursue things that actually might really be their strength. And so these people you mentioned, they, they were intense in their mm-hmm. pursuit and in their drive. Um, they, they did have high intellectual ability in particular arenas, obviously, um, and they could really focus in on what they wanted to. Yeah, I think I actually have attention deficit disorder. I'll go downstairs to get into the kitchen to get a pen that I need so I can pay the bills, and while I'm downstairs, I'll notice the countertop's dirty, so I'll clean it. I throw out the paper towel, and I'll notice the garbage bag is full, so I'll take it out to the trash, and on the way back from the trash, I see a bird crapped on my car, and before I know it, I'm washing my car, instead of paying the bills that I, the, with the pen that I originally came to the kitchen to get. So I'm sure many listeners are saying, that's me. Is there any proactive yeah. steps that we can do? What can we do to combat this ADD? Well, so in the case of ADD, but really I think this applies to some degree to all of the issues that I address, you know, depression, anxiety, learning disabilities. The key is to, A, be able to develop some what I call workarounds. So addressing ADD specifically, um, you know, for example, some people might find a workaround for them is, for example, list making or right. um, or organizing themselves the day before their day. So, you know, in the evening before, they make a list of the things that they know they want to get done the next day. They organize. So in the case of students, they organize their backpack. They set it all up. They put everything together, as opposed to in the morning when they're rushed and much more likely to forget whatever they need to do. So there are sort of the built, you build in steps to sit down, take a few minutes, address the thing that is coming ahead, make the list, check off the list, et cetera, that kind of thing. And then important in terms of all these things, as I mentioned earlier with people who've really achieved, they figured out what their talent was, what their potential was, and they really ran with that. So uncovering what you have an affinity for and what you seem to have a strength for. So, for example, in ADD, 
the particular strengths have to do with creativity and original thought, and there's a specific hardwired reason for that. The default network, which I mentioned earlier, which has the switch that is faulty and you can't uh, regulate when you attend, is also the area that houses fantasy and daydreaming and idea generation. And so um, you, when you have ADD, you tend to have a much higher uh, free-flowing number of original and creative thoughts than the population that does not have ADD. And when you can pluck out the ones and put together the connections between those thoughts, you may be a real idea generator who can Mm -hmm. run with, for example, as many CEOs of companies actually do have ADD. And running with that idea, whether, you know, it was the idea of Virgin Atlantic or Kinko's or Ikea, um, all of whom have CEOs that have ADD who've been open about that, um, you actually have the... Um, frankly, impulsivity that can be a problem with ADD, but in the case of business development, may be a great thing. You're willing right. to take the risks. You you're have the high energy to move forward, as many people with ADD have, not only high energy, but overly high energy. Um, and, and you have this capacity for original creative thought. So people need to think of what area is my deficit in? Yeah, I mean, by what the way, you do, by the way, you, you describe me to a T. It's like you're my entire talking to a psychic. I mean, she's explaining everything about me. <laughs> you nailed so that's it. so that's right. So so knowing early on, um, well, first of all, let me let me step back for a second and say that people. I don't want to Pollyanna this. People who have mental health issues and learning disabilities really suffer. And one important thing to understand in terms of harnessing strengths is that this all operates on what's called the inverted U-shaped curve. What does that mean? That means at one end of the curve, if you have mild to moderate illness or disability, you are more likely than someone who has nothing to have creative, original thought, or one of these potential strengths. More likely. But if you have moderate to severe illness, you are less likely than the average population not to have the potential, but to be able to manifest that potential. Because serious illness, so even in the case of ADD, if you have moderate to severe ADD, then you might have the original creative thought, but you won't be able to implement it because you will be so scattered that you can't be organized enough to implement that plan. So what's important first and foremost is to understand what you're struggling with, seek evaluation and treatment, because treatment means you can stay on the mild to moderate end and actually utilize the gift that you have. Then understanding what that gift is, depending on what, what is the issue that you struggle with. Some people find it because they stumble upon it. So, you know, Steve Jobs and, and, and Wozniak, like they, they gravitated toward this computer area, toward design, and they knew that's what worked for them and they went with it. But if you really don't know, then things like neuropsychological testing can be really helpful, not just in finding deficits, but in finding strengths. Um, exposing yourself or your children, if you're wondering about your children, to many mm-hmm. things to see what floats their boat, you know, and what do they tend to gravitate toward and what do they seem to be able to do um, more easily than other things. Um, so finding that strength and and then, you know, it's providing the time to run with it. So even though I'm telling you that treatment is very important and it is of utmost importance, 
most experts would say you want to go with what's called the 80-20 rule, which is basically 20% of your time you want to spend on shoring up your weaknesses, right, on getting treatment. But you want to leave the majority of your time, like 80%, for being able to delve into the things that really turn you on and that you really have capacity in because you can have a lot of potential, but it's not like magic. You have to mm-hmm. hone potential, you know? Talent is somewhat born out of innate ability, but not only innate ability. It is repetition. And so being able to immerse yourself in something is what actually grows an incredible strength. Wow. Yeah, well said. You know, I've always been fascinated. Let's talk about autism. I had a patient come in with her son who's autistic. I watched him solve a Rubik's Cube puzzle in less than 30 seconds. If you gave me 30 months to try and do that, there's no way I could do that. Have scientists identified any part of the brain that people with autism have that's more advanced than the average person? I mean, is there something they've discovered through CAT scans? They haven't been able to say this specific point, you know, Uh this specific area, except to say that the area, there clearly is an area of deficit for people with autism in in an area that has to do with um, sociability. So, you know, looking somebody in the face and reading social cues of of a particular nature um, is is an area where there seems to be deficit. And what's fascinating about that is that the area right next to it has to do with visual spatial ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, 3D, uh, where things are in space, pattern recognition, and it is thought that it's possible that some of the reason that pe- a lot of people actually with autism have much higher than average visual spatial ability, which they might use to recognize pattern, to do coding, to do um, one person I, I interviewed for my book is, you know, started composing music at a, you know, at age five wow. um, and playing with the Boston Symphony as a teenager, um, but composing his own jazz pieces, etc. So comp- music composition is often something because it's really patterned. Um, and the reason may be that this visual spatial area recruits neurons and space and connections from this area of deficit next door. So um, while we haven't yet pinpointed all of the reasons why some kids with autism or adults with autism have incredible mathematical abilities and others have incredible verbal abilities. And in fact, when you look at the world of savants, you know, Mm -hmm people who have extraordinary, almost bizarre-like abilities for either numbers or words or memory, um, that they almost are all somewhere on the autism spectrum, that uh, it has to do with uh, uh, probably both recruitment, um, but also some change that happens in the brain when the autistic changes happen as well, which is usually somewhere in the ages of two to four, um, that confers these potential strengths. Right. I read an interesting study on how people with autism and Asperger's syndrome are less likely to develop Alzheimer's disease, and scientists concluded the reason is because they have had to rewire their neural highways, which increases the brain's plasticity. Have you found a link mm-hmm. in your practice to uh, brain longevity when comparing those diagnosed with autism, Asperger's, or other disabilities? Um, 
so I, I, I can't say that actually. Um, I would, I would say no. And I would say a little bit, the data is still out on that. Actually. So Asperger's, which, which technically we don't use that term anymore, uh-huh. um, is really, is really just mild autism, right? It's, it's all on the autism spectrum. Um, and we, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, the, the brains of, of infants and up through at least the age of two to three, we don't really even see any differences at all. So there is something, there is some way that a gene is being turned on or off that, and, and something potentially that's also going on with the environment, but again, mm-hmm. we don't know what that is, that confers these differences that actually the changes that you see when you're in ages two to four is actually... Um, essentially larger brains, which is curious because, you know, when yeah. you see deficit, you don't, you don't tend to think of that. Yeah. But in fact, there is some enlarging essentially that's seen on imaging. Um, and there may be a greater pro- proliferation of neurons in certain areas, but we don't know exactly what that means and why or why that would mean a less likelihood of, you know, as you know, neurofibrillary plaques and tangles yeah. later on. Um, I, I don't think it's really well understood. It's not studied. That's an interesting fact. It would make sense that, uh, you know, they're, they're using certain areas and maybe, the, you know, Alzheimer's doesn't kick in. I was going to ask you, the gut's been called the second brain. There's so much science now showing the link yeah. of unhealthy digestive tract to learning disabilities, depression, even memory loss. What's your take on yeah. gut health relating to a healthy mind? Well, I, I think this area is is huge and growing, and um, at least the early data suggests that um, de- depending on the, the biome or, you know, the population of bacteria in your gut, you may have a higher degree, essentially, of inflammation and release of inflammatory products from your own body. Right. Um, and and. When that happens, those inflammatory products do cross the blood-brain barrier, and so they are essentially bathing your brain in those same inflammatory hormones and other products, um, cortisol being one big example, and that does affect um, everything from potentially mood to uh, anxiety levels to other disorders, really. Um, and, and we know, for example, that when someone has a chronic release of cortisol due to chronic high levels of stress, for example, um, people who are caregivers and, you know, going through caregiver burnout and this extends for a long period of time, that you, that it causes, you know, death of brain cells, essentially, neuronal death. And so whether it has to do with that or with other neurochemicals that are essentially being altered, but it does, it is about this release of inflammatory products vis-a-vis a change in the biome in the gut. And it's a really fascinating area. The, the problem is that people have taken this information and said, oh, okay, I should really, you know, let me try to fix my gut biome by taking probiotics, for example. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sounds in theory like that should be helpful, but the reality is we don't know which combination of which bacteria would be ideal for you. And so you can try to replace the bacteria, but you may or may not be replacing it with ones that will be useful in terms of reducing your overall inflammatory level. 
True. I think it's in its infancy, but I think the future of gut health is going to really blow us away in the next 5, 10, 15 Absolutely. years. I really Absolutely. do. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. So fantastic. I want to thank you. Time just flew by. We got to have you back. Some great information. You've shared the uh, powerful connection and how the source of people's struggles can be the origin of their greatest strengths. I love that. That's just so profound. And I hope everybody gets a copy of your book. It's called The Power of Different. And you can learn about that book and more about Dr. Saltz by going to Dr. Gail Saltz, that's S-A-L-T-Z dot com. And you can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Gail Saltz and on Facebook at Gail Saltz. And for my daily Facebook and Twitter posts, I'm at Dr. David Friedman on Instagram. Follow me at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Saltz share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to you, goodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our uh, podcast library. Great stuff there. You want to share these segments with friends and family and coworkers and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. You can also subscribe to future podcasts on iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.